0: Hello, my name is Samuel George London and welcome to Comics for the Apocalypse. On today's episode I speak to comic book writer and super nice guy Chris Mull about what comics he would take into the apocalypse. But before we get into it, I'd like to give a quick shout out to our sponsor, Comic Scene, an award winning magazine that's available digitally and in print in the UK, Ireland, Australia, Canada and the good old USA. Now, issue 13 was due to come out on 9th of April, but due to the coronavirus, it won't be released until 14th of April. However, all is not lost because digital and print subscriptions from £2.50 are available at getmycomics.com forward slash scene, and be sure to check out their website comicscene.org for comic news and other fun sequential stuff. Now, without further ado, on with the show. Hello Chris Mole, how's it going? Yeah, it's going pretty well, thank you. Uh, thank you for having me. Oh, it's an absolute pleasure. Um and uh thank you uh for for coming onto the uh onto the podcast. Um now uh kind of up front to, to all of the listeners, um the apocalypse situation will not be coronavirus, even though we're in this <laughs> semi apocalypse right now. Um but uh yeah, uh, how how's it treating you, Chris?
1: It's it's okay so far. I think it's it's all quite surreal. Um because it's it's very strange to, to be living through something that seems that is it's obviously a big deal, um everything that we know is kind of changing around us quite rapidly, so yeah. it's strange i haven't I don't think I've quite fully processed it yet
0: no, and' it, it's the the uncertainty yeah is absolutely. kind of one of my um anxieties really yeah,
1: yeah, I know especially I know in the comic scene I know a lot of I've seen a lot of people yeah. on Twitter getting really worried about what it's going to mean for obviously a lot of local comic shops are have are, are closed That's now right. because you know. Which makes sense because they're not essential business, but it is yeah.
0: it's, it's, it's trouble for those those retailers yeah exactly um, and and now that diamond have announced that they're not going to be uh, um, yeah, absolutely. making their shipments like yeah, this month's shipments basically are they
1: no, 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 no I saw that as well yeah it's it's a lot of like say it's a lot of uncertainty, a lot of anxiety around
0: yeah Massively. Um,
1: so I'll we'll have to try and retreat into the fantasy of a different kind of apocalypse. Yes, just...
0: <laughs> absolutely. Precisely, Chris. Uh, fantastic. Now, uh, for, for anybody that hasn't come across you just yet, uh, what do you do in the world of comics?
1: So um, I'm, a, I'm a writer. Uh, so I've been writing comics for about, I want to say, eight, eight or nine years now. Uh, I sort of started around in 2011 um, doing a bunch of uh, short comics with a guy called Professor Elemental. Who is a he's a chap hop musician. So his thing is like hip hop, but he kind of dresses as like a Victorian explorer, and he's he's really good fun. That's amazing. And he's got a couple of <laughs> yeah, he's got a couple of really he did some some YouTube videos that kind of blew up, and he sort of managed to build quite a good fan base out of that. Um and uh, so I I basically got in touch with him and said I'd like to try and write comics. You're basically a cartoon character anyway. Can I do some comics about your about your character? Uh, we kind of built from there into doing a couple of short anthologies full of short stories. So I kind of acted as an editor on those as well. Uh, and then I've obviously sort of gone off and, and sort of done my own project since then, pretty much. Uh, so it's all been self-published so far. Um, so I'm on, I'm on, I'm on Twitter. I'm on Chris at Chris Manju M A N J I on Twitter. Um, so I'm I just I'm on there spouting rubbish a lot of the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I've got a, a website as well, obviously. So yeah, I've kind of it's the writing. I've done a little bit of lettering um, for a couple of things, but not as like a proper. It's mostly just because I thought if I'm going to be an editor, I want to be able to, if i find putting together short stories for anthologies, if I can letter them as well, that helps shorten the absolutely. amount of people. It, make, it makes it easier. Yeah, it streamlines, streamlines the process of it.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And so what was your website? It's just chrismole.co.uk. Nice. Nice and easy. Um, nice and easy. and <laughs> uh, for, for, for all the listeners, those links are in the show notes, as always. So feel free to click through there and check out Chris's work as we chat. Uh, now, uh, unfortunately, I do have some bad news for you, Chris. And that is that there has, there's been a nuclear explosion um, <laughs> <laughs> in Birmingham now. Uh, you're 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 based more in Yorkshire so you're you're not right in the epicenter thankfully Um, but uh, you're going to be in a bit of the fallout unfortunately Um, so uh, my first question for you is what is your action plan for survival in this nuclear fallout apocalypse
1: well, so I've got a, I've got a couple of things to kind of draw inspiration from there because I mean I'm a I'm a I'm a huge I'm a big video game fan as well and the obvious first thing is the Fallout series, um, which I I was actually playing Fallout 4 quite recently. Um, that it doesn't really hold true so much because you know you don't get to I'm not going to be able to run around in a in a wasteland in the real life with you know guns that I've made out of bits of pipe and you know <laughs> fighting raiders. Realistically, that's not probably not going to happen um so you have to be a bit closer to have you ever seen the the film threads threads no it's so it was a it's a movie that's set in sheffield and uh, it was it was released i think i want to say 20 30 years ago um but it's about the the aftermath of a nuclear explosion basically a nuclear bomb so it's kind of what would happen and it's the most bleak depressing brutal thing you've ever seen so it's probably nice. quite realistic it really scared a lot of people because it was kind of it was very unflinching and. You know, there's been a nuclear explosion. This is what's going to happen. Um So yeah, I'd, I definitely want to stay away from from that nightmare scenario because that's too depressing to think about. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, uh, sure. so I guess probably I guess best action plan for survival a nuclear fallout it would be keep out of the keep out of the outdoors as much as possible. So you know, quarantine like we're doing right now. Yeah. Uh, try and try and build you know dig some kind of underground bunker. You know, try and wait for the radiation because over time it will it'll decrease, won't it? Like it goes down. After a while, I mean, we're talking hundreds of years, so yeah, realistically, yeah, so, you know, I can, I'll, let's, uh, let's, let's have a nice fantasy situation where I'll build myself a little cryogenic chamber in an underground bunker with all of the scientific knowledge that I don't possess. Um, and, uh, and then just, you know, freeze myself for 300 years or so, come back out and then wander around, um, you know, trying to avoid mutated wildlife. And I guess we'd have oh. badgers, wouldn't we? We'd oh. have mutated badgers.
0: And I want to think what gosh. they would look like. <laughs> yeah, no. Um I guess kind of I don't know, maybe four eyes and eight legs, maybe yeah, all sorts, like all spider, sorts badger, spider badger, yes. spider badger. Oh no! That's a, that's a horrifying idea. <laughs> that's
1: the yeah, worst. We, so yeah, definitely. You know, I'll, I'll I'll let it let things cool down for a little bit, and then and then you know, in my underground bunker. <laughs>
0: Fantastic. Uh, now, when you awake three hundred years later um, from <laughs> from from your frozen state, um, there, there's a new society that's been um, created, and yeah. uh, as as part of trying to find out about uh, the the past. Uh, they ask you about uh, what you enjoyed, and, and that being comics, and so trying to dig a little deeper, uh, the first question that these these new age people ask you is <laughs> what is the what is the first comic you remember enjoying?
1: I mean, I'm operating on the assumption that I somehow still remember, still have all my faculties after three hundred years. <laughs> yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. But um, well, you, you've it's... had this unfreezing um, kind of process, yeah. like in Demolition Man, where you're kind of like a. Baby for a little while, but then uh, <laughs> wake up eventually.
1: I've got my memories back. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it would be the first one for me was Asterix at the Olympic Games. um, I mean, I actually—I know the the news came out today. I didn't know that Albert Adurzo, the yeah, illustrator for Asterix, has actually has passed away. Uh, so that that was that hit me this morning. And yeah, a because... good old
0: innings. I what was he? Ninety two. Ninety two. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah. Which is it's a very long, it's a very good innings. I what I, I can gather. It yeah. wasn't related to any of the virus stuff. It was just we just yeah. had heart heart complications. Um, but yeah, I, I grew up reading Asterix. Uh, I mean, my my parents took me to park Asterix in France when I was a lot younger, uh, and I still I still remember the the memory of it was. Um, I, I ate a wild boar sandwich, and that was great. Oh, and wow. I, I, uh, I got chased by a Roman legionary, because they're obviously they're all dressed up, and I went up and was sort of, you know, Yabu sucks at the Roman legionary, as one would, because you've read Asterix, and the Roman legionaries are the, the sort of, you know, you, they're the bad guys. They're kind of not bad, bad, but they're the villains. Uh, and he proceeded to sort of turn around and make like he was going to chase me. And I zoomed away at top speed, because I was convinced that he was going to actually jump me. Uh, and he only went about three steps according to my parents and then obviously i just kept running so <laughs> um right. so yeah it was it was definitely asterix at the olympic games was the first one that i specifically remember having uh i had a sort of dog-eared hardback that i think we got from a charity shop or something like that um i just That's i remember cool. reading that thing cover to cover Um there was a lot of it was great because it was all the kind of it was the olympic traditions and you know obviously looking at ancient greece obviously is where the olympics started um hmm. so the what the what the thing that Gossini and Oderzo did so well was they would do historical stuff but make it really fun and make it really interesting and like put all the jokes in and all the sort of silly names um while still teaching you about stuff. So there was a whole there was a whole big section I remember in there that kind of showed you this is the Olympic village in ancient Greece. This is you know this is the Colosseum where they do all the fighting and the wrestling. This is the racetrack. Um and yeah I just I remember absorbing all of that and I just really enjoyed it. So I could probably trace. I, I'm a big history nerd as well. Like I've got, I've got a, a master's degree and a bachelor's degree in both in sort of history and medieval history specifically. Wow. So I could probably, I could probably trace that back to reading asterisks as a kid.
0: Oh, that's awesome! Um, and so,
1: how how old were you? Um, I want to say it's definitely. I'm definitely picking it, picking names out of, the, out of the. high. I want to say around, yeah. around about eight, maybe like seven or eight. So I know, I know I read the Beano as well. I was definitely more of a Beano kid than a Dandy kid. Oh, but right, I yeah. definitely, I think I definitely, before I started getting those from the newsagent, I was, I, we had aspects on the shelf and I remember reading that. Um, yeah, Tintin nice. as well. Tintin was, was, also, was also up there. Um, just a lot of that, uh, I can't pronounce it right at all, but it's the Claire Lean, like the, the Claire Line yeah. style, the Belgian style of comics. Um, yeah, Yeah. Oh,
0: fantastic. Um, and at this age, uh, were you creating your own stories? <laughs> uh i do my mom actually sent me a picture some a little while ago of
1: uh of the, the first comic i ever made uh, and i think i was about four oh, okay. either three or four and it was just wow. it was a retelling of uh it was superman it was the superman movie and it's the one where i think it was superman 2 or something where he like he uses his his ice breath to freeze a, a dam that's just burst and save the save this town mm-hmm. um and i i basically we watched it on tv and i'd sat and drawn a a a comic is, is a you know a generous term for it, but I draw on, you know, the story in about four pages of of kids' scribbles and written, you know, by Chris aged three and a quarter or whatever it was. Um so yeah, that was that was the first one I did. I didn't start making them properly um until like a, about two thousand eleven, like I said, when I sort of decided, you know, I've I've read comics my entire life. I'm gonna mm-hmm. get into actually trying to do it properly. Um before that I sort of I did that when I was a kid and I kind of acknowledged that I I'm not good at art I'm not good at drawing, and that so that seemed to me to be a barrier to making comics because obviously
0: yeah. it's a
1: visual medium. You know, I can, I can, I did, I did. No, I tell a lie. I did, I did write stuff uh when I was in school. Uh, I wrote a, a very long and probably absolutely terrible because I got really into manga when I was at uh, at school, uh, high school. Right, um and I remember writing a very long and probably quite terrible manga, then uh, trying to get a, a friend of mine at school to draw it. And we did, we did a bit of it. Uh, but it was it was just not good. It was very much kind of, it was like you know a sort of manga, like a fictional version of of me and a fictional version of all these other people I knew at school. Kind of worked into it, and I went. It sort of veered off into Matrix territory because I got really into the Matrix as well. Oh, brilliant! Yeah, uh, yeah of course. it was. Yeah, it was a very it was very over the top. I and... would
0: love to see that.
1: <laughs> I, I don't think anyone should ever see that. I think I have, I have one picture from it, uh, which was a big painting that she, that she did as like a birthday present for me with all the characters, and that's I've got that stored somewhere. But uh, yeah, it was it was not good. <laughs> it was like to the to the extent that you could tell there was a point where you could tell that I'd, someone that my girlfriend had broken up with me because there was a whole dramatic breakup <laughs> emotional subplot in there, and it was just like it was awful.
0: <laughs> oh man, I love looking back at kind of teenage. Uh, creativity yeah. it's just it's so on the nose and so yeah, like absolutely. beating you around the head like this happened to me listen <laughs> to me type yeah. stuff but you know Obviously, we all go know, through it don't
1: we yeah definitely there's, there's probably people there's probably people the age i was then now making stuff that's better than anything i can do almost certainly uh that was just it was you know it was fun but at the same time it was it was not good. <laughs>
0: Uh, it, it made you into the person you are today so Very uh, true. Uh, that's it's, it's all good uh now moving on to our next question these sure. uh future people ask you uh what is the funniest or comic that made you laugh out loud the most it would be uh, i'm kind of cheating
1: because it was originally a web comic uh but it's been collected in a couple of volumes um hark a vagrant and step aside pops by kate beaton um, Kate Beaton, are you familiar with with Kate Beaton? I am. Yeah. Yeah, I was going to say she's she's absolutely fantastic. She's probably I would I would go so far as to say she's probably one of the best sort of caricaturists, cartoonists that we've got working mm-hmm. today. Um, I mean, a, a lot of her stuff has just become memes because it's because it's that it's that good. There's a one I remember is the um, Edgar Allan Poe. There's a comic about Edgar Allan Poe and Jules Verne, yeah. uh, and they were sort of Jules Verne was sending letters to Edgar Allan Poe. Just I think it was Jules Verne. Just being like, you know, I love you. I love your work. We should we should hang out. There's a picture of Edgar and Poe kind of reading this letter and just sort of eyes narrowed, like what's going on here. <laughs> um, she always finds. She's just so good at finding a way to to sort of get a historical figure and just find a hilarious angle on them, and like just just hit that joke like, just so well. Um, it's it's even it's it's better when it's if she's doing a historical figure that I'm familiar with from what I what I've studied because then it's mm-hmm. like I just I hadn't considered this and it's great. But it's also she does characters and you you want to learn about them. Uh, like there's the uh, in the cover of Step Aside Pops is there's a lady on a on a bicycle, like a really big wheel and like a little one. And it's she based it on there's a, an illustration of some of a woman riding a bike, you know, a velocipede, I think it's called. <laughs> and it's just this there was this this thing from the I want to say the 19th century where it was like, oh, there's these women riding bicycles around and, you know having having free spirits and going out and independently (laughs) it's just such a great she's so great at just skewering that and just doing you know this 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 woman riding this bicycle and and kind of being like you know get out of my way old man it's just it's so great she i I laugh out loud at some of hers there's a whole there's the whole sexy batman ones that she does which are just fantastic if you've not seen those i would highly recommend you look them up Uh, it's like it's just you know batman but drawn sexually but done in her sort of cartooning style so it's like he's yeah. you know he's, he's kind of cleaning the Batmobile in like a in a backless apron and sort of you know chatting up the uh commissioner gordon and it's just it's it's fantastic <laughs> i would
0: i would oh, i love I, all of
1: that i'm sure it's not something that she's interested in i mean she might be i don't know but if if they were it like dc should get her writing a comic for them it would be amazing it'd be the funniest thing
0: That'd be absolutely brilliant. Um yeah. I wonder if that will that type of thing will ever happen. Um but uh, I think Harker Vagrant is still available all online.
1: It is, yes. So, it's yeah, all online. It's I think amazing. she's stopped doing it actively now. Um yeah, she has, unless, yeah, yeah, I know she went off to yeah, back, do yeah. I think she had some sort of various tra- various life events that I think have you know gotten in the way, yeah. but they're still they're so good. They're so good, those comics.
0: Straight up and for for all the world to see. So if you are yeah. self isolating, definitely Google Harker Vagrant. And uh, and, cha- and all of all of yeah. Case, other work as well. Um, and yeah, you can just but, uh, you can just
1: go you can just random or you can just read through the entire archive and I guarantee you will you will want to read the entire archive. <laughs> exactly,
0: that's fantastic. Uh, now switching gears and changing emotions, uh, the next question that comes up is what's the saddest or most upsetting comic that you've read?
1: See, it's it's tricky because I don't tend to. It's not that I sort of stay away from from sad comics, but I tend to. I, I kind of like the escapism. I like the sort of being able to read stuff that's not going to make me super emotional, although I tend to get emotional at lots of things these days for some reason. Um, so I think the most upsetting one I would say was probably that I've read was "Mouse" uh, mm-hmm. by Art Spiegelman. Not just yeah. because, not just because of the um, obviously, you know, the content of it is horrific, um, but yes. it's just the way that it's presented so matter-of-factly. Um, yeah. You know, it's it's the comic that I always. If anyone ever tries to. I know it's a very tired argument. If anybody ever tries to make the argument, oh, comics are for kids, or, you know, grown-ups no. don't read comics, <laughs> I literally just, yeah, I just, I just point them at Mouse and that. go, yeah, absolutely. You know, it's like, oh, it's got, got cute animals in. Yeah, that's not the point. You know, well, yeah. it, is, it is, it's it's part of <laughs> the story. <laughs> yeah, it's it's definitely part of the story. There's a there's a very good reason why he's done it that way. Yeah, um, but it's... yeah, it's,
0: it's the, yeah, the fact that it's cute animals doesn't make it suitable for kids. A hundred percent not. Um, yeah. But uh, for for anybody that hasn't, red mouse before how, how would you pitch it to them um i would say it's an it's a semi well i think it's
1: either autobiographical or semi-autobiographical um accounting of the the holocaust um arch spiegelman i believe spoke he he went and spoke to his grandfather who was a holocaust survivor uh and kind of spoke to him about it but it's it's sort of it's a two-pronged thing it's both his grandfather's recollections of being in auschwitz and his time there and you know all, obviously all the horror of that but then crossed over with art spiegelman kind of speaking to his granddad about it and like the, the struggles that he's facing now and the kind of that relationship between him and his grandfather um so it's 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 kind of it gets kind of gets you on both ways it gets you in you know it's a it's a brutal comic about the holocaust and it gets you in this is the way that it's affected this man who's lived through it um and the way that that's affected his relationships with the rest of his family as well so yeah it's it's a heavy read but i would say it's kind of an essential read
0: yeah as well you know. Definitely, and, uh, and absolutely one of the most upsetting comics that you'll ever read. Yeah, uh, definitely. That's for sure. Uh, now, uh, changing um, emotions again, um, <laughs> the, the next question that comes up is, what's the scariest or most horrifying comic that you've read?
1: So, yeah, I mean, my first my first instinct for this was to say Junji Ito, but I will be honest and say I'm too much of a wimp to have ever read a full Junji Ito comic. Because yeah. <laughs> I've seen some <laughs> of <Scott>. his <laughs> stuff. Yeah, he, he scares the absolute bejesus out of me. Um, yeah. So I think, for me, I went with, I've gone with um, Swamp Thing, which was, it was Scott Snyder's run on Swamp Thing with Yannick Paquette. Um, I believe it was the 2010s. I think it was either shortly after the New 52 or around that time. Um because Scott Snyder is, is an absolutely fantastic writer. He's he's probably my one of my all-time favourite writers, you know, the top three. Um, he's so good at what he does. And that, that run on Swamp Thing was just the... It wasn't sort of jump scares. It wasn't that it would, you know, you turn the page and something would pop out. It was the, the way they... I, I, the story was essentially there's the red, the green, and then there was the rot, which is the kind of the evil force that sort of death and decay that was like spreading across America. Uh, and it was just this horrific the imagery of these kind of the body horror, these people sort of twisted around and, you know, possessed by these huge swarms of flies. It was very, very, it was very, very gory, but not not gory in a sense of blood everywhere. Gory in the sense of you read, you turn the page and you're just going, this is horrible to look at. And, you know, it stuck with me. That really stuck with me in terms of being a scary thing to read. Uh, There's just these absolute nightmare visions. I don't know. I, I imagine Yannick Paquette's probably... Had some very terrible dreams to to pull that out of.
0: <laughs> <laughs> no doubt. So, yeah. Um, yeah, no, it's it's incredible where where um, kind of art comes from and and, and storytelling. Um, yeah. And kind of with the, with that in mind, where where do you get inspiration for your storytelling? Uh,
1: it's it's a tricky one. It kind of comes from a, a lot of different places. So the I mean the main thing I've done is um, recently is, is a story called Brigantia, which is a uh, kind of a pagan superhero sort of thing so it's it's based on a real pagan goddess um i think the reason it's going to be a really trying to trace the path of where that idea came from is just is quite mm-hmm. fun um so i'm also i'm a, I'm a big um uh, kind of metal head like i'm into a lot of extreme music and there's a band called who aren't active anymore called Ivon La the furies um who we we they were on our sort of my sort of local scene because I've, I've been in bands for years like decades or so and um so we knew them and we played some gigs with them. And they had a song in which the one of the lines in the song mentioned Brigantia, And I kind of remember hearing it just going, I don't know what that name is, but I, I kind of like it. It sounds, it's a bit like Britannia. So I sort of yeah. looked into it, found out a bit more about that character and kind of went, that's that's a cool name. I wonder if I could do something with that. And I kind of parked it. And then I saw someone, someone else, this is years later, was doing an anthology for kind of a British superhero anthology. And I thought, what if you did a kind of British Wonder Woman, but using you know, British mythology and history and folklore and all of the stuff we've got and kind of, you know, stuff that together. So that's where Brigantia came from, was just a kind of combination of ideas just jumbled together. So I think it's very much about, it's coming from music, from like watching films, from reading other stuff and like from the world around you as well, like history and folklore, that kind of thing. You get, I like, get a lot of inspiration from that. Um, you know, just that's it's like life experiences as well. Like the, yeah. The, the comic I've got that I'm working on at the moment—it's it's, actually—I'm gonna—I'm gonna. Shall I plug it now, or shall I wait until the end of the interview? No, go one? for it, go for it. <laughs> uh, so it's—we've <laughs> go got go a Kickstarter, we've got a Kickstarter coming out quite soon. It's called The Black Rubric, uh, and it's basically—it's a one-shot comic about a black metal band who accidentally write a song that's too satanic, um, <laughs> and it, it, in the process, they accidentally open the gates of hell and unleash demons on the earth. And this is a problem because, you know, they're they're a black metal band. I don't know how familiar you are with that genre, Um, but it's very much, uh, you know, a lot of it is kind of people trying to be edgy and writing songs about Satan and, you know, like hailing Satan and all that sort of stuff. Uh, So they obviously take it a bit too far. And, you know, one of them get the singer gets possessed by a demon and doesn't realize and (laughs) it all goes wrong. But it's kind of a flight. It's a really light touch, kind of like funny. You know, we've gone first. We've kind of gone this. This whole thing is inherently ridiculous. Um, sure. And I, and I, like I said, I'm, I'm a metal I'm, I'm a massive fan of black metal. Like I'm really into it, and I mm-hmm. love how how stupid and over the top it is. Yeah. Um, you know, you get you'll get like you go to you go to see a band, and they'll be the singer will be there. They'll do their song, and they'll be kind of you know doing the croaky sort of screechy vocals. And then like, I'm gonna I'm gonna demonstrate because it, it'll work. Um, you know, between songs, they'll be talking to the crowd, and they'll be stood there going, yeah "How are you guys doing tonight? Are you all good?" <laughs> and it's just it's so it's so over the top, and I love it. Like, I was often the commitment. You got to Yeah, they, they the forget commitment. to. Yeah, they switch. They forget to switch off the voice between songs. I love it so much. Um, <laughs> so we kind of, yeah, that that was. I very much went. I want to do a comic about a black metal band because I know a lot about that scene and I'm kind of familiar with it and we can make it fun and make it ridiculous. Um, but that again, that was an idea that came from a whole bunch of different sources. That was just sort of mushed together with things I've done that I know about and I can sort of communicate that to people. Hopefully, you know, like my enthusiasm for it
0: excellent uh, and the title is black rubin
1: the black rubric um rubric, R-U-B, yeah r-u-b-r-i-c uh which i believe is kind of like a rubric is like a kind of religious instruction so because it's you know because we're being we're being satanized about it everything is reversed so it's it's not a rubric it's a black rubric <laughs>
0: yeah love it um so yeah no that that, that link uh will be in the uh, uh in the show notes so people can go click through there and check it out or just search for a black rubric on kickstarter yeah. um yeah the, yeah the kickstarter is the kind
1: of page is up now so you can sort of click on it if you want to get notified when it goes live i think we're looking at right. the 31st and that it's, it's one of those things where we were like i kind of genuinely was like do we want to to hold off because everything that's going on in the world and yeah. it's also, I think we're not asking for a huge amount of money. So I think it's kind of, right. hopefully it's achievable. And hopefully it's something for mm-hmm. people to look forward
0: to. Yeah, no doubt. Yeah. Yeah, definitely, man. Um, that's cool. Uh, now, uh, the next question uh, that comes up from, from our future people uh, is, what is your favorite cover? Uh,
1: so I had to look at the exact issue, but I knew the, I knew what the yeah. cover was. So it's the, the Flash one, number one, two, three. Um, so it's Flash of Two Worlds. And it's the one where there's like a brick wall in the middle, and you've got Barry Allen as the Flash and Jay Garrick as the Flash, willing to go and help somebody who's lying on the ground. He's going, you know, Flash, help me. And they're both like, I'll save you. And um, and it's the it's I think that was the first time that they had the multiverse, like the two flashes both on the same cover yeah, together. Yeah. And the first time they went, they went, you know what? Barry Allen, the Flash, grew up reading uh flash comics about Jay Garrick. Like the 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 comics existed in his universe, and it was such a meta-textual thing. I love that so much. Um all the kind of multiverse stuff, is just it's I'm a I'm a big I'm a massive DC fan. Like i you know, if I had to pick a pick a side, it would be the DC side. But that's just because I I grew up you know, I grew up with a lot of DC characters, sort of more so than the Marvel ones. Um but yeah, that cover is just so striking and for what it represents as well. I just I love that you know, they kind of went they kind of leaned into the comics is ridiculous and it's over the top and it's like cosmic and let's just let's just go with it. You know. They actually uh the Flash T V show, I don't know if you've if you've seen any of that. Um, it's been getting more and more kind of off-the-wall comic book as the seasons have gone I've on. I've really
0: leaned into it, apparently. I mean, really I, have. I haven't really watched it, but I've, I've seen, you know, flutterings here and there. Yeah,
1: it, it's sort of, because it definitely started off as a kind of, you know, well, I mean, superhero comics are pretty much they're kind of like a soap opera or like a, like a, you know, they're kind of like a teen drama show, but with superpowers as well. Yeah. Uh, and they've, they started off in that vein and then they've just gone into it completely. And they did actually, they recreated that that cover in one of the episodes which is fantastic it's right. got yeah they had uh, they had one character you know in the foreground and then there was for some, there was like a, an apartment which had kind of a, a wall dividing it and they had the two flashes running towards the camera and i just completely lost it i'm sitting on the sofa kind of <laughs> you know like poking my other half going oh my god it's the flash of two worlds they've done this they've done it they've done it on screen <laughs> they did it uh, yeah it was so cool i just I absolutely that childlike joy you know so yeah, that's it's a, a big, it's a fantastic cover. I love it. It
0: is. No, yeah, that's really cool. I'm, I'm just looking at it now, um, and uh, I, I I can imagine like if you were if you saw it on a newsstand, kind of when was it published? I can't see the date. Do you, do you know when it was published?
1: Let me have a look. Uh, I believe September 1961,
0: according to Google. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, I imagine yeah, seeing that see seeing that you must have been like. My gosh, what's going on here? This is a totally out of this world.
1: (laughs) I think there was, and there was quite. I think there was quite a gap between because they did the first couple of Flash comics. I've got, I've got the Showcase um, volume upstairs, and they they did the first couple, which were Jay Garrick as the Flash, and I think they kind of parked it for a bit. And it was a little while later, maybe a few years later, that they came back with you know Barry Allen. And initially, it was just, you know, it was just a throwaway line. It was one panel where it was kind of Barry Allen when he gets his powers and he goes, "Hey, I remember, I remember these comics from when I was a kid." Hey, maybe I could be like the Flash, and it's just sort of—it's not really leaned into that. You just kind of think, oh well, it's just a way of you know, kind of a, a little bit of a retcon of the previous one, and then it actually went, no, we're going to bring it in. No, there's yeah. multiple universes. There's different flashes in each universe. It's just—it's great. I love that.
0: So cool. That's awesome, man. And uh, do do you do you own a copy of it? Or I've only got
1: the I've got it, like I say, in the showcase. I've not got the actual right. the single issue. Right. If I could get hold yeah. of a single issue of that. I'm not really yeah. like a collector. Collector, um, yeah. You know, like I don't, I don't have that many sort of rare old issues. But that would be the one that I would get that, and I would put it in a, in like a frame so, thing on the wall, but with a door so I could open and read it every now and then. You know, I wouldn't want to keep it, you know, in a case and covered up,
0: sealed forever. Yeah. Yeah,
1: like yeah. I, I get why I get understand. I understand totally why people do that. But yeah. I, I, for me, it's like it's a comic. It's made to be read, and I'd want to read it. You know, obviously very carefully. But yeah.
0: Is that with your white gloves and tweezers yeah. and yeah <laughs> absolutely <laughs> yeah.
1: it's like you know <laughs> you see um, like you watch people going to see like get to people who get to read copies of action comics number 1 and it's like that for me would be like going to a museum and they they go oh we've got a you know we've got the scrolls of like the book of the dead or something and you can read yeah. it but you have to be really careful I'd, I'd be like this
0: for me this is my you know my bible Totally, man. That's awesome. Uh, now we come on to one of the most interesting questions, and that is, what is the most meaningful comic to you?
1: Yeah. So I mean, I kind of like I want to cheat a little bit and say meaningful to me in terms of kind of what I've done would be brigantia which I mentioned earlier because it's Absolutely. that for me is one. Where, yeah, because well, it's I've because I've spent so many years kind of developing that and we're working on it. It was with uh, Melissa trender who was the artist that I first sort of. Was developing it with and we did the first issue together um, she's unfortunately she had to sort of step back from it just like her mental health kind of issues meant she had to sort mm. of step off the project which is totally fine yeah. um, so but yeah we we worked on that together a lot um, and when we actually finally got the first issue done and we released it and I was like this it's, it's I'm really proud of that comic because it's kind of one thing we had was we released it at Thought Bubble um, in 2017 I believe and uh, because it's obviously she's based on a real Pagan goddess, there are people who, for whom Brigantia is the goddess that they worship as part of their religion. Uh, So it was kind of, so it's, yeah, it's like there's a pressure to sort of do it right. And uh, one lady came up to this, to our our table at Thought Bubble. um, And she came up, but I distinctly remember this because she came up and she said, she went, I've seen this, I've seen this online. Brigantia is like, is my goddess. She's my, I think it's Hearth goddess, I think is the correct term. Um, And and we're kind of bracing. And she went, this is absolutely perfect. Like she looks exactly spot on. This is exact like this is the goddess that I worship. And I was like, that's oh, that's right. pretty big. <laughs> yeah, that's that's like you've not just made a character, you've made a character that that fits exactly somebody's someone's vision of someone that they that they obviously you know have a big connection to. So, so yeah, that was a really pr- a big moment for me. Um, if I'm saying if we're going with the most meaningful comic that I've read that obviously I didn't have a hand in making, um, it would be Green Lantern Secret Origin. Um, you know the Jeff Johns one where they kind of rebooted the character a little bit. Because right. um, I was into, like I said earlier, I was into manga in high school. I didn't really get into American comics that much as a youth. I kind of, I watched the like the Batman the animated series and I watched the Justice League series and I kind of, so I knew about the characters and I was into the characters. But I, I didn't. We didn't really have a comic shop near me, so I couldn't go in and get hold of you know those things. I just didn't think to pick them up. Uh, whereas manga, I, I was like, oh yeah, I can. I'll get into this. Um, so when I actually picked up Green Lantern: Sacred Origin, that was the first sort of thing where I started going, I'm going to start collecting, you know, American comic book trades. And it is just, it's a, it's a fantastic story. Like it's a, it's a timeless story, and the version of it they did was just the artwork's beautiful, and it really kind of, it sort of hit exactly the right notes of like American comic book weirdness. You know, there's a, there's a ring that can create anything from your imagination. Um and there were I also didn't know the, the origin story at that point beyond what was in that comic. So it just it just absolutely hit the right notes for me. But that was kind of the start of my sort of, you know, amassing a collection of, of graphic novels and comics and, and single issues as well.
0: Yeah, it really got you back into it. Yeah, um, definitely.
1: Yeah, yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah, and when when was that? Sorry. Um,
1: I'm gonna say I wanna say around about two thousand and Nine two thousand and ten. Right. I say two thousand and ten because I believe yeah. I picked it up in the Forbidden Planet in Sheffield, which was after I came to university here. um And yeah, I, I just I remember kind of being like, I'm gonna I'm gonna start I'm gonna start getting into these comics. I kind of went in and had a look and was like, I think that one just jumped out at me because I was like, I knew I knew a little bit about Green Lantern. um I sort of knew the name and was like, obviously because he was in the cartoons. I kind of liked him in the cartoons, uh, and I was like, yeah, I'll, I'll give this one a go. And I just I think I just picked the exact right comic. Um, you know to get me into
0: it awesome and then kind of shortly after that you you got into writing comics
1: yeah well yeah i, I think suppose. i guess it sort of yeah it kind of spared the you know this is a thing that i could i could potentially do And yeah. I, I can't remember i don't remember exactly why i thought you know what i'm going to start doing it now yeah because uh, not,
0: not everybody thinks that
1: <laughs> no you don't have like a moment like a you don't have a, a moment where you get struck by a lightning bolt of dust and chemicals and you go right i'm going to write comics now you know that's the, the flash is less exciting origin story um, <laughs> Yeah, like there wasn't an exact moment, but I think definitely that was I sort of picked that one up and I really enjoyed it. And then I kind of grabbed a few more, started getting single issues and thought, I wonder if I could do this. Um and then yeah, I went from there.
0: Oh, that's fantastic, man. Um now, uh we we come on to our next question, and that is what is the most underrated comic?
1: <laughs> you're going you're probably gonna have to cut me off on this one, because I, I could go on about this this one for absolute hours. Um oh, awesome. I could, I don't know how underrated it is necessarily because it's not. I, I don't have a great barometer for those kind of things. Um, but the one, the most underrated coming for me would be *Blade of the Immortal*. Uh, it's a manga by Hiroaki Samura, um, and it's uh, it's just it's incredible. It's so good. It's because it's it's like a it's a samurai kind of manga, but a lot of samurai manga are kind of they have a particular style. Blood of the Immortal absolutely doesn't have the same style as any of the others. Mm. Uh, it's all done in pencil, so it's not it's not kind of penciled and then inked and then coloured or anything like that. I mean, manga a lot of manga is black and white anyway, but this is just done in pencil, so it's got a really kind of sketchy, visceral feeling to it. And it's like the action scenes in it are just so they just they jump right off the page. There's these kind of big fight scenes, and then they'll they'll cut to like a big double page spread where it's a really intricately detailed kind of piece of artwork of like the killing blow. Um, it's basically a comic about a, a samurai. In um, it's, I mean, I, I'm a big Japanese history nerd, so I'll, I'll try not to drop too many <laughs> fancy terms in. But the Tokugawa, <laughs> yeah. the Tokugawa shogunate, basically ruled Japan for about two hundred, two hundred something years. Uh, it's set in that time period, so there was this big period of, of peace because the Tokugawa basically killed everybody else and went, "We're in charge now." Um, uh, so there's all these, there's all these samurai wandering around who no longer have, no longer have masters to serve, and they become. It's when the whole wandering wandering warrior kind of thing comes from um there's a lot of stuff that's set in that time period and uh this this guy a character called manji who i basically stole my internet handle from because he's he's just great um mm-hmm. and he gets uh these weird things called blood worms into in him like he gets them put into his into his blood by this old nun and they can basically heal pretty much any wound that he sustains like within reason you know if you if you mm-hmm. cut his head off and then leave it you know a mile away he's gonna have trouble um but it's sort of so it's kind of an, an immortal samurai trying to atone for the things that he's done in his past. Um, he's done a lot of bad stuff, and he's trying to atone for that by helping this this girl called Rin, who's trying to get revenge on the the guy who's killed her family. And it's just so it, it builds on a lot of very human kind of emotional beats, and then just has this absolutely amazing artwork on it. The story's great, the dialogue is just fantastic because the the translators have done an incredible job because obviously it would have been in Japanese originally. Mm. Um, and they just captured the way that the characters all speak in this kind of really like street punk kind of way. Like you'll have you'll have some characters that sound really kind of like punk and really you know edgy and kind of modern, versus you know somebody who's kind of a, a high-ranking official who sounds a lot more you know kind of measured and, and sort of imperious. And it's just it's so good, and I'd highly recommend it.
0: That's awesome, and yeah, no, the the art is absolutely beautiful. Really is, and, yeah. and, and, and the protagonist. I mean, he's, he's trying to kill a thousand... thousand evil, evil men, that's it. Evil yeah. men. I mean, that's a pitch. Like, do you <laughs> want to see a yeah. samurai kill a thousand evil men? Yeah. There is, uh,
1: there's a, <laughs> they actually did a movie of it recently, uh, Takashi Miyake. Okay. He's a great Japanese director. and They, they said they were going to do this, and I absolutely lost it because he's a, he's a fantastic director, and he's done some really great films. So it was kind of like they went, we're going to do... I guess the equivalent would be if they got, say trying to think who would be a perfect director for justice league. It, it was kind of, you know, they got someone who's exactly like a really acclaimed director, I guess, Bong Joon-ho, you know, right. now doing a, doing a, a superhero comic book yeah. adaptation. Uh, and there's a bit in that way, he just completely cuts up loads of dudes and it's a really over the top fight scene, but it's just, it's great. It's that, that he really captured that part of the manga. They kind of move away from the sort of, it's not like a counter of, you know, all right, well, he's done this many. So he goes oh, I'll do, I'll do 900 more then you, then you, then I'm off. Um, yeah. they kind of move away from that as the story develops but it's it's a really great like a really strong start to it
0: oh that's awesome man cool uh now uh, we come on to one of the most difficult questions and that is for you what is the best comic of all time
1: i actually i didn't have to think about this at all uh um, like it was, it was a really straight quick answer it's it's another manga um but it's like akira by katsuhiro otomo um and that for me is just I mean, I think I think like that was when I, I say I was into manga. That was the first manga that I started collecting. Um, mm. Because it was there were these big dark horse volumes that they did. they were, like a big collected edition. There's six volumes of them in total, and it's just, I think I picked one up at, in a shop and went, "This is great. I've got, to, I've got to have all of them." And I was only like, I was only collecting that. That was the one thing I wanted to get. It's just. It's amazing. It's uh, it's this huge kind of epic story. Are you are you familiar with Ak- with Akira?
0: Um, I'm um, um, I know about it, but I haven't read it. Um, I would I, mean, I've, I've, it. I've really got to get around to reading it at some point because yeah, obviously it's it's a seminal piece of manga.
1: It that absolutely is. Yeah, I, I mean, I would go so far as to say this. it's it's probably for me the big statement. It's probably one of the most seminal pieces of just not even just manga, like any yeah. comic, any kind of sequential yeah. fiction that's been released. Mm-hmm. Because it's this massive, huge, epic, but there's a the, the whole thing is built around this emotional core, um, because it's these two these two street punks who are both orphaned, and they both grew up in orphanages, and they've had they, they kind of build this friendship, but they've they've obviously had this, this so much trauma earlier in their lives that they kind of, you can see how that trauma comes out and how those those insecurities manifest and it just twists the friendship, so it start, starts from that, and then you've got kids people throwing skyscrapers around like psychic powers, exploding everywhere, and it's just. The, I mean, I don't, even, the artwork is just unbelievable. Um, I know in the manga industry, I know there's a lot of artists that will have assistance and stuff to sort of help them out. Yeah. Uh, so it's not, it's, I always feel, I, I just, especially now, I feel, I used to be like, oh, yeah, he did it all himself. He's amazing. I now, I think I now know it, he probably had a couple of people helping him with some of it,
0: mm. but
1: it's, so it's a little bit less like he did this single handedly, but it's just, it's still, it's, it's his style and it's absolutely insane. There's, um, I've actually written a piece for... You know, do you know Panel by Panel? Yes. Yeah, yeah the criticism. I actually I managed to write a piece for it. I don't know if I can... Oh, great. I don't know if I can... T- well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say it, and you can edit this bit out if I, if I should keep it secret. Um, <laughs> but I, I wrote an article for Panel by Panel um, that's going to be in a, an upcoming issue. That's, it's about They do one about um, endings, like the best final you know, endings to an issue or endings to a series. Yeah. Uh, and I, so I went for the end of issue three of Acura, uh, volume 3 of Acura, sorry, in the Dark Horse collection. It's just, it's about 30 to 40 pages of just complete destruction, being everything going, just, it's like it got to the point in the film where the director's like, you know what, here you go, I'm going to throw everything at the screen. Mm-hmm. And then it completely just explodes everything and then collapses it right back down to this this really powerful, emotional last two, two or three pages. And it's just, oh, it's so good. Uh, I actually recently got the, I've been looking for, I know they did a colour version, uh Marvel, did a they brought it to america in the 80s and they did like a new translation uh, and they they colored it all they had steve oliff doing the coloring for it right um and i i've been looking for them for years because they're really rare that the volumes of that and i managed to find one or two of them uh kind of one on like an ox the oxfam website and one on ebay okay. uh, and i was like i'm just i'm just gonna get them so i've got two of those random volumes just upstairs now uh and i'm just so happy to have them because it's it's really weird seeing a comic that I've read in black and white with one particular translation, slightly different translation, different colour, obviously coloured at all, mm. and it's just—it's such a great story. That I could read that thing over and over again.
0: That's so funny, um, but that's awesome, um, and I uh, no, yeah, it's—it's it's one that I really need to kind of read. Yeah.
1: <laughs> it's like cause I know they, they did the, they did the anime as well, and it's one of those things where I think right. Otomo also directed or was really heavily involved in the anime oh, really? so he he kind of went i can't tell the full story in this in a film so nice. we'll do a kind of an abbreviated version of it and i really think it i don't think it lose i think it's still a fantastic film but i think it does right. lose something from not having the full scope of the the, the manga because this mm. is it, it becomes a completely different story for the last three volumes it's you know you've got this whole future neon neo tokyo city and it's very you know blade runner cyberpunk kind of you know very like clean and not clean but kind of futuristic and then everything gets blown up completely and you get this really post-apocalyptic war kind of you know people scratching out and living in the rubble still telling the same story still working but just a very different look at it and it's just yeah it's 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 a great it's a great feat to be able to blow up your entire setting and halfway through your comic and have it still work (laughs) totally
0: (laughs) Yeah, that's, uh, that's courageous, to say yeah, the least, yeah. isn't it? Oh, fair play. Uh, now, uh, come on to uh, your last comic choice, and that is, if you could only take one comic into the apocalypse, which would it be?
1: So, um, yeah, so Ac- Acura is, is what I would say is the best comic of all time, but I think the comic I would take to a post-apocalyptic, radi- irradiated wasteland um, mm-hmm. would be DC's The New Frontier by Darwin Cook. Um, because that is just, it's a perfect, it's a big, it's a big chunky book. You know, there's a lot, there's a lot in it, but it's just a perfect kind of slab of like golden age optimism. And just the artwork is beautiful. Like Darwin Cook was such a fantastic artist. And he just draws these kind of instantly iconic, instantly uplifting, noble, inspiring superheroes. And so that for me, like that story is just so, it's so good. And it's got so many great bits in it. That that would be the thing that I would read to, you know, keep my spirits up in the long nuclear Mm. winter nights. (laughs) Because <laughs> yeah,
0: you, you're going to need it.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. For sure. Yeah.
0: And and I'm I'm not entirely sure about the motives of these future people either. Um. So <laughs> yeah, you might have to uh, kind of be stay op- optimistic.
1: Yeah. Definitely. <laughs> yeah. But that that would be a perfect way to sort of you know to show the two of them and go this is this is it's not just about the superheroes. It's like this is how we can be better people. This is how we can be better to the people around us. Because I think that was what Darwin Cook was really trying to sort mm-hmm. of do with his comics was, was be like, yeah, you know, they're, yeah, they're, they're, they have capes and tights and they fly around and fight aliens and stuff. But at, at the heart, you know, a superhero is just the kind of perfect example of just being a better human, you know, being better yourself. It's, it's, Superman's meant to inspire us into being the best versions of ourselves. So I think that I think he absolutely nailed that. So that would, that would be, you know, a way to keep our spirits up.
0: 100% that's perfect man. Uh now uh what weapon tool or useful item would you like to take into the apocalypse with you as well?
1: I mean the the boring answer is a hazmat suit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know just because then you could just go and wander around yeah. all you want and enjoy the enjoy the I say enjoy the scenery. Um that's <laughs> that's the kind of the practical answer uh, would be, you know, a hazmat suit to stop me from growing extra limbs or uh, you know, extra eyes or turning into a spider badger. Um so yeah, I think, I think I'd probably I'd probably go for that. Or some kind of machine that has an infinite supply of clean, non-irradiated water.
0: <laughs> non-irradiated water, as well. Yeah, that would definitely. Yeah, be useful.
1: <laughs> yeah, I think that, that's. They're both they're kind of boring answers, but you know, I, I guess you know the the easy answer is oh, some kind of weapon that I could go and you know, kind of go and fight mutants with. But it's like realistically i'm probably going to want to stay indoors and just read the new frontier over and over again so yeah, having something right. to, dr- to drink that's not killing me from the inside would be brilliant
0: perfect awesome well chris Mole, thank you so much for sharing your comics for the apocalypse
1: no worries sam thanks for
0: thanks for having me on excellent and uh one more time for the listeners uh where can they find you online uh so i have a website which is uh chris um
1: and i'm on twitter at uh, chris manju m-a-n-j-i um so yeah find me on there say hello and uh you might have to put up with me tweeting about hockey as well all sorts and all sorts of other random gubbins. but i promise there are comics tweets on there as well <laughs> fantastic
0: uh and your kickstarter uh black rubric
1: yes the black rubric yeah it, we're, we're planning to launch it on march 31st um if you if you search kickstarter now for the black rubric you should be able to find the campaign page and sign up if you're interested um and i think i want people to look at it purely because the the video that we did for it the campaign video is probably the best thing i've ever done um because it's what? a it's kind of a spoof black metal music video uh and there's a very oh, there's a very particular style for them which is you know kind of like weedy looking guys in black and white face paint running around in the forest um you know trying to look serious and like like you know grim, like they're, they're sort of doing black magic but realistically realistically they look ridiculous and uh, I managed to film, I, I mean, I've got some friends together and we managed to film something that just looks exactly like that style of video. So even if you know about the Kickstarter, which I hope you do, please watch the video and enjoy it. <laughs> <laughs> That's
0: awesome, Chris. Love it. Uh, well, thank you so much again. And usually I do ask people uh, where they're going to be at uh, their next Comic Con, uh, but <laughs> as obviously... We're in the yeah. midst of our own semi-apocalypse right now, and, and every single event under the sun has been cancelled, postponed, or rescheduled in some form. Um, yeah, who knows? Well,
1: I, yeah, <laughs> I mean, I do. I know Tom Ward is actually winning a thing called Kitchen Con. Have you heard about Kitchen? Yes,
0: Con? yeah, yeah, I yeah. have. Yeah, that's a great, that's a great um, point. Actually. I was
1: gonna, I was gonna try and, uh, I'm gonna attempt to do something at Kitchen Con on Sunday, the 19th of April. Um, so I'm gonna attempt April. to, you okay. know, to set that's up in my in my, in my in my little in my little studio and and try and sell things to people. Uh, and after that, it's, again, it depends whether things are still going ahead. I know Glasgow Comic-Con in July, I was planning to be at that. Uh, but again, who knows at this point?
0: Yeah, exactly. Um, we'll have to kind of go with the flow and all that. But no, definitely yeah. the the KitchenCon um, stuff. And I think it's just hashtag KitchenCon. Is that That's right? That's it, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, it it's Tom, Tom
1: Ward. Um, yeah, he's running it. Is the guy? Yeah, he's putting it all together. I think it's April 19th.
0: Great. Fantastic. Um, cool. Uh, well, again, thank you so much for your time today, Chris. It's been a real pleasure. No worries. Thank you very much. Awesome. All right. Well, I'll, I'll probably see you on Twitter uh, and, <laughs> and maybe at a Comic Con event if, if we get out of this alive.
1: Fingers crossed, yeah.
0: <laughs> I hope so. Awesome. Thanks again, Chris. Take care, man. Bye. Thanks again to Chris for being on Comics for the Apocalypse today. It was an absolute pleasure. If you enjoyed the show, please leave a review for us on iTunes or whichever podcast service you use. As not only will it let me know that you liked it, but believe that it helps make other people aware of the show as well. If you'd like to check out Chris's work or follow him on social media, those links are in the show notes along with all of our own links to the various areas of the internet. Speaking of which, if you haven't already, be sure to visit Comic Scene Magazine's website at comicscene.org for comic news and lots of other fun sequential art stuff. And finally... As long as this apocalypse doesn't escalate anymore uh, in the next week, I'll hopefully see you next Monday. Stay safe and bye for now.